0: Welcome to Rookie Designer, my name is Jake Van Ness, and I'm here with my co-host, Carl from Holy Carp Design. How you doing, Carl?
1: Pretty good. Been a little slam this week, and I'm glad it's Friday.
0: Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I've been uh, actually down at my parents' in Pennsylvania for the last week, uh, helping out my mom, who had surgery. So, just makes me realize how beneficial it is to work for yourself and be able to do what you do from pretty much anywhere. So, it's been a good blessing for me yes that's true but so what what do you got to talk about this week for design Um, actually i totally forgot about design news so what do you have design news
1: (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about news all right um so i went to gd usa because i have not been able to look at the news or design news in a while so i just went and said i'm gonna lift an article from there and kind of read and give a little opinion hey that's what we usually do for news anyway. Yeah. Um, so they have an interview with President Paula Wallace, who is the SCAD uh, president, Savannah College of Art and Design. And it's a very short interview, so it's a quick read. But there were some interesting bits that I pulled out of the article that uh, I thought maybe we could discuss a little bit. Um, uh, cool. Yeah, you know, it's it's simple stuff. Um, so SCAD is... Uh, in Savannah, Georgia, and they actually have two, sat- two or three satellite campuses, and then they have a whole e-learning uh, component as well. Um, but they're really known for their degree in graphic design. Uh, they claim to have an, a 99% employment rate. Sorry, that silence is me rolling my eyes. Um, <laughs> they... Employ people with Apple, Google, Microsoft, and Gulfstream, which are some of the world's best or largest companies. Um, so the interview is pretty straightforward. They ask, they talk about trends, and they talk about um, things that make SCAD uh, SCAD unique. Um, so they, in particular, they kind of focus on what tools are they teaching uh, students that are relevant to today's design world and they really push uh, user in- UX design. Um, and UX design is kind of a part of design that I've only used tools that are for user interface, like Inkling and other ebook publishing type tools, but I've never designed the, an app or something that's you know within that realm. So um, user interface design is a total unknown to me as a designer. Other than I know that these apps are always getting updated and they always look different. And some of the stuff is really bad. So thank God for user interface designers. Um, have you ever worked on a project like that, Jake?
0: No, it, it's user interface is definitely an area that I'm not overly familiar with. But you could say that the front end of a website kind of falls in that same realm. Because the idea is, it's what, what are you seeing when you are interacting with an app or a website or any type of software or stuff like that so it's not something i'm really familiar with i mean obviously i know what it is but i've never designed for it and i do think that that is a bigger and bigger area for designers because of the app market because of software because of how much we rely on our phones and our tablets and our computers. That. Yeah, that, and also because that software updates, there's new things you can do with it. Like when Apple releases a new OS, there's little things that you could do, like, for example, dark mode and things like that, that affect how an app appears. So then obviously that has to do with user interface or UX design. So, yeah, I, I can see where they're saying that that's a trend and it's a real push in that direction. But I also think that's why we're seeing so many designers come out of school with very little print design knowledge, very little production knowledge. is because they're focusing so much on digital now that they're not getting as much design in the, in the realm of print and maybe even some web design stuff. So Writing. I think it's interesting that that's the push.
1: We've been told that print was dead for the last 10 years, and there is still print design, but a lot of the skills you learn in print design also translate into the, the flat tablet type of, um, like if you're doing magazines and that kind of thing for tablets, a lot of the print skills still apply. One of the other things that I thought was interesting is that uh, the students at SCAD also um, have interactions with some of these larger cl- companies that they actually get placed within. Um, In particular, they they do creative briefs within these companies. And Amy Chang is one of the students that did some work with Delta. She helped do the global rollout for new uniforms with Delta Airlines. Now, I recently flew Delta, and I got to give them credit. They have some really unique uniforms. And when we flew in October, they actually did some of the pink uniforms for breast cancer research because they actually give a ton of money. They're not just trying to do the virtue virtue signaling uh, uh, to build awareness. They, they give a ton of money to it. Um, So props on that in the final bit, uh, the final part of the article talk about beyond mastery of technical skills, which we can learn on YouTube. um, What are two critical skills for designers? And um, they say it's the ability to research and to tell stories. And those are two skills that are very important for any unique graphic design. This is the difference between the fiber designer and the, uh, the design uh, brand strategist, the research that goes behind the project and the story that you're trying to get those designs to tell.
0: Yeah, and obviously with all of the Storytelling apps we have now with Instagram stories, Facebook stories, Snapchat, um, even YouTube and stuff like that. Yeah, the storytelling aspect is really, really important. I do think they leave out the relationship-building aspect that I think a lot of designers tend to fall a little short with, too. Right,
1: but that's kind of a generational thing, I think, (laughs) that we are... (laughs) The interesting thing is all this user interface stuff has rewired our brain, especially if kids are being raised on these tablets. Um, We lack relational skills, and that may be something that they actually could benefit from teaching in college in general.
0: Oh, absolutely, and I think we'll see that. I think we'll see that.
1: If you're a designer running your own business or anyone running a business, building relationships is key for having continuing clients and to help learn needs and address those needs. So yeah, that's absolutely. my news for a bit. Uh, it's an interesting article and, um, it's a very quick read and there's a few bits to pull out. Um, if you're considering SCAD, it's worth reading just to kind of know what the leadership, um, it does and what they believe. So there you go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I have several friends that went to SCAD and I don't think I've ever heard that there's anything bad about this school. They, they do say it's expensive. I mean, it's a very expensive art school. But I also know that it is a very, very good art school, and it does open up some really interesting doors for people. So, it, it, yeah, if you're considering SCAD, definitely read it. Cool. So my news is kind of interesting. I, I've, I've always been a fan of CBS Sunday Morning. And that Mm -hmm. style of, like, a news magazine type of reporting. And it's just these little tidbits of articles, videos that are interviews that are spotlighting somebody. So the one that I saw recently was a artist by the name of Alexandre Farto. And what he does is he does... um, basically public art using drills and jackhammers and stuff like that to expose his art. It's a really interesting way of doing it. And he's he's a native to Lisbon, Portugal. And he has been part of the really big street art scene there that's flourishing. And it was really cool to see how he does his artwork and how, and we're, we're not talking like, an eight-and-a-half-by-eleven piece of artwork. We're talking like side-of-buildings-style artwork, and he's using these jackhammers and, and hammers and drills and bits to basically break pieces of the wall or the paint away to eventually expose some type of artwork. And he does a lot of murals, a lot of people, um, and it's beautiful artwork. Now, obviously, it some people consider it graffiti because it is street art, but the good thing is that and he, he even said he gives credit to, to uh, Bansky about how he has changed the perception of street art and how street art has become a little bit more accepted. Obviously, he, he's very careful about what he does and, and where he does it, where now he's actually being commissioned by cities to do artwork on the side of their buildings or to come up with something. And I, I just found it really interesting because he uses a, a Really cool technique. It's a lot of negative space type of artwork. So I would definitely. It's like a five-minute video that you can watch on uh, CBS's website. It's a cool little thing, just to see somebody do some kind of different artwork, different work that's graffiti, but not spray paint graffiti, or not just painting graffiti. It's actually physical artwork. Relief? Is it relief carving, basically? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, that's, I was trying to think of the term, but yeah, it is very much that way. And then they talk about that, obviously, as an artist, he's always trying to find new ways to do things with this. He is now using explosives to do it. So instead of chipping away, he actually will blow parts of the wall out to make the design. And obviously, we're not talking like blow huge holes, but he's taking like very small explosives and blowing like the first layer of paint off the wall and it was just really cool to see how he's trying to find different ways to do his artwork and and use that negative space. So yeah, I would definitely check it out. It's it's always neat to see how somebody does something creatively that's very different than the way other people are doing it. So definitely check him out Um, again. It's uh, on CBS Sunday morning. So I'll put a link in the show notes for that. Um, We'll also have a, a link to the interview the president is scad, and the show notes and their show notes can be found at rookie slash are we at 180 we are we are at 180 so it will be rookiedesigner.com slash rd 180 for this episode so that's the it's not really news but that's what I wanted to share in kind of the news area today but what topic do you have and again you're on a roll lately with coming up with topics so just like
1: that artist, um, he uses a hammer and chisel the, or, or a jackhammer and that kind of thing. And you have this continuum where off on one side of the line, we have the artist. And then off on the other side, we have the tools that they use. Now, I'm proposing a new price list based off where you land on that continuum. Now, to be fair, this price list was is published on the online, and you guys have probably seen this everywhere. But if you're the artist and you're designing everything, your price is going to be perhaps a hundred an hour, which is great, right? That's a pretty good rate. Now, if you are starting to perhaps design with your client watching you, maybe they appreciate the artwork. Maybe it's an installation piece. Well, your rate goes up. 200 an hour, you know, you're, you've got an audience. It's kind of like <laughs> when you're running a concert.
0: Yeah.
1: Now a little further down the line, say you're designing and your artist, uh, your, your client has some hands on help. Well, that's kind of like a piece of art where, uh, or it's a performance piece and <laughs> you know, it's like dancing. So you're charging 500 an hour cause you're obviously got to be doing some skill transfer. And then on the far end, we have the clients designing everything. You're not even watching. They're just designing, and you're the tool to put everything together. 3400 per hour. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> the funny thing about this is where are we landing on the continuum? And we've all dealt with this. And sometimes when you're working with clients, you're just the tool to get their vision alive. And... Uh, I wanted to kind of talk through this because there are clients that we both have currently or or in the past or people that we're prospecting in the future uh, where we're just kind of helping them get something along. Um, And it's different levels of being just the tool to get their vision alive. Or maybe you're taking a branding that someone else has created and apply it to all these different assets. That's more like you're doing the design work based off someone else's So it's being the tool or being a tool. Maybe your clients, the tool being a tool. Um, So what do
0: you think of this? It's interesting because yeah, I, I have had situations that fall pretty much all over that spectrum. I've had clients come to me that are basically just handing it over saying, I trust your expertise. I trust your experience. I know, you know what you're doing and just come to me with, some type of final product or something that's almost finalized and I want to see what you come up with. And then I have had the other end where I have somebody come to me with a bunch of drawings that they've done or a bunch of ideas that they have that they more want to use my toolbox in the sense of they want to use my expertise and the tools, meaning the software, to put something together that then they can use going forward rather than saying, okay, I want your design experience. It's more of like a production environment. Sure. And I think that's like kind of what you're talking about where you have like a branding guide or you have a, a brand already that exists and they're coming to you saying, okay, we've already got the outline of how this needs to be done. We just need you to implement to this. So by implementing it, you're doing more of a production based situation. And then I've had people come to me with a drawing that they think is final, and they're like, well, we just need you to make this pretty. And you're like, well, that means you did all the design work, and all I'm doing is putting it in the software so that you can use it down the road. So that's that's pretty much the far end of the spectrum. Or the ones that run off with a job that decide to do it in Canva or something like that because they don't want to pay you you don't even get to charge them. They're, they're so far off on the other side of the spectrum that they're no longer a client. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've dealt with both ends of it. Now, but I, I have some interesting opinions about it. There
1: is some interesting truth to this continuum, though. Um, let's talk through a project. Um, uh, maybe it's a bit or something. And you, you, you have this project, and your client is coming with an open request. And... You're making bids on particular aspects of the project. Um, so say your client has the software and they just want you help. They want you to kind of teach them how to do it, um, how to build out stuff, how to utilize the software. Well, that's kind of um, they're designing your advice. That's that's going to land somewhere where you're doing some skill transfer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's going to be a little bit of money, but not so much in your pocket because you're relying on them to do some of the skills. Or then there's this whole thing where you're going to convert it from one software. Like, say I have a PowerPoint or an InDesign, and I need to convert this whole thing to Word. And this is going to be a whole system. So a lot of my clients are leadership training uh, companies that have a whole system of manuals, training guides that teach people how to teach the materials, Uh, learning support materials and PowerPoints where I'm converting everything so that they can later do edits themselves. Right. Um, So eventually they will be designing everything but I'm giving them the tools and it's going to be a longer project to do all of those conversions. So to give them the ability to have the client design everything, I now have a much higher dollar value but it's also a much higher time suck for me. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, you know, if it was just me doing the design work, say in InDesign, which is the our native space, our, our home territory, I just do the design and occasionally they come to me for updates. That's going to be a lot less time involved. So and I'm still doing the design work. So that's a lot less money, a lot lower dollar value. So there there are happy mediums and I'm more content perhaps um, emotionally physically and all that <laughs> with me designing everything it's my comfort space but I'm not making as much and even though I, if I charge a good rate my interaction with the client may be less because if they're still if they're trying to do everything themselves I'm still going to be brought in to advise later on because they're going to break things that's yeah. just the nature of
0: it yeah absolutely and I think a lot of that is learning how you deal with your clients and how these projects come up. Because, I mean, there, there are times where you may say, okay, if they're doing a situation where they're taking a, a an InDesign file and they want to convert it to Word, and you may sit there and say, you know what, that is, it's not that it's outside my skill level. It's, and this is going to sound so nose up in the air, but it's kind of below me. It, it is not the type of work that I should be doing as the type of creative I want to be. Not saying that you're better than somebody if you can't, if you don't want to do Word, but it's really just saying, you know, that's not the avenue I want to go in. That's not what I want to spend my time working on. But what I want to caution people about, and I've run into this dealing with other designers, dealing with other web de- designers and web developers, is be careful that as a creative you don't develop this attitude that well that's what i designed so ultimately that's what's right and i've run across some branding people who that's how they behave that they don't they, they don't really get any input from the client they don't really get the feeling of who the client is and how the business is with the client instead they they say okay i'm the designer i'm going to give you one logo that's what you get because i'm the one that knows what's going on i always i find that so amazing That first of all they can find any clients to work with when they act like that but two that i understand and that comes from the artist side i think that really and not that all artists are that way it's as i get thousands of emails from people that are artists um it's just that They're very, it's very emotional for them with their artwork. They're very attached to their artwork. And I think as designers, we need to be careful that we don't become that way. Because in the real world, in the production environment, in the business environment, you don't always get to be the one that designs everything. You don't always get to be the artist. You get to be the designer, which means you have to have that relationship with the client And you have to work with them. But at the same time, if a client comes to you and their expectations are off the wall and ridiculous, like, hey, I want this developed from InDesign and I want to put it in, I don't know, Canva or something like that. I don't know why I keep saying that today, but apparently that lovely software is on my mind. But say they want to put it in Canva and you're like, well, I don't want to work in Canva. I don't want to... Do this project you don't have to like there are people out there that will do it and that's fine it doesn't you don't have to always take those projects on now could that hurt your business relationship with them down the road where you may not get the other projects you may not get other projects. absolutely but again you have to decide the kind of projects you work on but be careful that you don't go so far the other way and you you play the role of I know what I'm doing. I'm 100% right. I don't care what you want. This is what I'm doing as a designer or a creative or an artist and that's what it ultimately is. And I and I've had people who are artists that act like that, and I've had uh, web developers, programmers act like that where they're like, "Well, this is the platform I work with. This is what I built, and if they want any tweaks, then they need to pay me thousands of dollars because I ultimately know what needs to happen and, and that blows my mind again I don't understand how some of those people get clients but I think a lot of them are younger and once they kind of get slapped in the face with reality and how business relationships work they can't be that way now that doesn't mean that artists out there who is painting a piece of art or is or is doing Photoshop work on a piece of art that is uniquely them that they're building even if they're building it for a client, like say they're doing a mural or something like that, and it's really, truly artwork, that's a little different. That that does go all the way over to that side. And what they do, the reason they hire you is because you are that artist and you have that style and they really like that style. But again, it's about a relationship. You can't walk into somebody's office painting a mural on the wall without any type of relationship. Otherwise, they're going to get really mad at you. Kind of like that artist we were talking about in the news. Part of the reason people get upset with him is because he is a quote-unquote artist and he just puts his installation on the side of somebody's building, sometimes without their permission. So that's where you have to be careful that you have that relationship and make sure that you're not so far one way that you're not willing to, to bend and to work with a client. But at the same time, don't let your client dictate every single thing you do. After all, you should be doing work that you really enjoy. You should buy in the projects that you really enjoy. But yeah, I mean, I, this price list is always amusing to me because I've had things all over the spectrum. I've had the clients that are like, I want to put my hands in everything. And there, yes, they drive you insane.
1: <laughs> there are benefits though to having the client kind of work with you closely at times. This is how I've become so specialized in the leadership training business because I've worked with not just one or two clients, but about eight clients uh in the leadership training space that all have slightly unique uh ways to get into what they teach um and methods that they deliver and I've kind of translated some of these skills, perhaps how it, it's how a presentation's built, or better ways to build out the books, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I've translated these skills to the benefit of a lot of my clients. So um, be willing to learn a little bit and then become a consultant in that space uh, because you become the expert with multiple sources in your background and you charge more for that too. So maybe.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, part, part of the change that I've seen in my business is I used to be more, And I still enjoy it. And I've told you this before. I enjoy being a production person sometimes. To sit down and say, okay, I'm going to do four hours of work that needs to be done that's literally just taking somebody's Word files and putting them on a document that is already branded. It's just formatting it. It's, It's really straightforward now the reason i know how to do that is because my skill level is high enough that i could do it quickly and i understand indesign well enough that i could go in and set up templates and set up styles and do all of that but sometimes i like just having that almost drone mentality and just say okay for a couple hours i'm just going to sit down and do this repetitive work and and kind of zone out and just do what i got to do um, but i think it's interesting when people are so afraid to do that kind of work because they're afraid that they're going to lose the artist side of who they are. Um, I think I find that a lot with illustrators or, or letter people or even photographers that a lot of photographers don't want to do commercial photography because they feel like they lose some of their creativity because obviously higher ups or the business or the corporation is dictating how we need those photos. For example, if they need photos for a catalog, you're not going to get, and I mean like product fo- uh, photos, like you say, okay, I need a picture of that glass or I need a picture of that hockey mask. It's literally going to be on a white background. You're not going to get overly creative, but hopefully you'll get those other projects having those relationships so that maybe down the road, they're like, oh, you know what? We need to do a, holidays themed photo shoot and you get to be more creative with that. So it's a lot of back and forth when you're in a business like ours to say I don't want to lose my artistic side my stamp of who I am on things but sometimes you have to realize that you were hired by somebody to do the work for them. You're you're not you're not creating artwork for fun that hopefully somebody will buy. You were hired to do a specific task, or you were hired to do a specific layout or whatever. So it, it's a it's a real back and forth, and I think designers need to realize that, and they need to realize that sometimes you'll have that ability to be the, the true artist, and sometimes you have to be the production person. And that's why I say a lot of print designers really need to spend time in a production environment to really see what it's like to slap a bunch of business cards together really quickly that are already branded. All you're doing is changing the name, the phone numbers, the titles, things like that in a production environment to understand that that work is there too.
1: Right. And one thing, uh, to, because I love metaphors, as you listeners know, um, one thing to understand is a tool never works alone. The hammer hits the chisel or, you know, um, that's about all I can come up with right, well, come, up with right you, now.
0: You can bang a hammer on a piece of wood, but it's not going to stick to another piece of wood unless you use the other tool, which is or, the nail. Or, or glue or that kind of thing. Well, the clue, so, yeah. <laughs> so
1: tools like friends. So make sure that you are working with other professionals that help complement your skills, whether it's a video person, copywriter, um, proofreader, marketing agency, which I, I found one locally that I'm going to be partnering with. Um, uh, email people, the people that create email templates, that kind of thing, you can create this robust cadre of tools to help complement your skills um, and deliver better things for your client. And maybe at that point, you're beginning to charge more because you're now giving them a full package. So.
0: Yeah, and as, as the person who has the skills to use those tools... It's not really your, and this is a a topic we can get into at another time, but it's not really your responsibility to know how to use every single tool. There's a reason why a roofer is different than a framer, and a framer is different than somebody that does plumbing, because some of the tools the roofer uses are going to be different than the tools the framer uses, and the framer may not be skilled in using those tools that's why you build those relationships to say okay my skill level and the tool of copywriting is not something that i have a high skill level for so i need to find somebody that that's their main tool and say so, yeah it's important to build those so that you have well the tools might not necessarily be in your toolbox you know where you can go and say hey i need to i need to borrow you as the tool to get over here and help you with some copywriting And building those relationships are important. And that's, yeah, the more you can do that, the better off you're going to be for your clients. Not doing everything yourself is probably one of the smartest things that I've learned. And it's not easy to learn that. It really isn't. You try to do everything yourself because you think you're going to save money. And you think you're going to do it better than anybody else could do it. But we both, you and I both know very well that's not true.
1: No, you find people that can do. Maybe they can do some things better, faster, or cheaper than you can. And you put them under your umbrella, and you charge a certain rate, and you make money on their labors as well because you're managing the client, you found the client, or that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, that's all I got today.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll post uh we'll post this price list. Like he was saying earlier, I'm sure. If you're a designer, this has been floating around for years, and there's all there's all different variations that are very similar, but it really comes down to learning to really see where you are on that spectrum and learning to be flexible on that spectrum. You really have to be. Yeah. So that's going to be good for our topic for today. So why don't we go into our rookie recommendations. What do you got this week, Carl?
1: All right. So this is for the geek Gamers that like to play on computer. Um, there is a game uh, released by Wizards of the Coast called Magic the Gathering, and they brought it to the PC with uh, MTG Arena. This is a beta release. It is free to play. They've monetized a little bit by... saying but There are two game currencies. There's coins and there's gems. Gems you can buy with money, or you can earn the coins with uh, just by playing. And it's not that hard to earn the coins. Um, and you're playing uh, Magic the Gathering, both Standard, uh, Current, Draft, that kind of thing, um, with, I think, the last three current sets. So they have Dominera, um M19, Ixlan, and the current release, which is the Guildgate one. And you can mix and build your own decks and just play Magic. Um, this is worldwide release, and so, The most I've waited for a game is about a minute, and this is something that I have on one of my screens while I'm just doing some simple design work. Um, While I'm waiting between uh, turns, I'm working on a PowerPoint on one screen, and I have this magic game in the other, and it's live and active, so you're playing other people. You're not playing a computer. Um, And i'm surprised they're not charging for it because it is everything that magic is in person other than you're not investing in the cards
0: so so it's the exact same game as the card game
1: yes just in digital version you get the pleasure of playing magic you get the edification the chemical response of winning and losing and i've i've I'm still happy that programs close with Alt-F4 on the PCs because when I get very frustrated, (laughs) screw it, I'm Alt-F4 and I close it. (laughs) It's like throwing a stack of cards on the table and walking away.
0: So is there animations involved and stuff like that for when a card does something to another card and things like that?
1: Yes, and there is an article about Wizards of the Coast's recent um, strategies and what they're going to be doing with Magic and D&D next. Um, And they are trying to create a virtual version of Magic that is augmented reality. And they want these animations to play in person when you're laying cards down in front of you. So they've got these animations for Arena. And I'm imagining that maybe there's a Google Glass type of thing, and these animations will play when you're playing a real live game or something. I don't know, but they they've got a path forward that they're just trying to reinvent what magic can be for the next generation of people that, you know, don't want to just play on the computer but play in in, in the meat space.
0: That's interesting because I I could see too where in the whole esports arena, I can see where they're obviously trying to make it a really yes. big deal. Because I'm assuming there's four money Magic the Gathering tournaments yeah, p- that are there, there in-person. There are
1: so many live in-person tournaments. And you people make a ton of money. I think it was called PTQ Arena or something like that. Okay. Um, and what's interesting is if they get this computer program done up well and if they can transfer it to augmented reality... You're eliminating the need for as many judges, I would say,
0: well, because just you the can logistics start, of showing it.
1: But you in, could start arena. building the rules right into the, the even the paper card game just by having this. Uh, everyone wearing these augmented reality, it can tell you whether it's a legal move or not. Um, which I love. It's only been around for about a month and a half, um, and it's great.
0: So. What is the other one that they have that's similar? That well, I can't. I think of it. Um, but there's a car, there's a turn based game that's almost like this. That when it came out, I was thinking it was Magic, but it wasn't. And that's why, like, I'm looking at the the screenshots and stuff, and it looks very similar to that game. And I was always like, I'm surprised they didn't bring Magic online, but I.
1: Yeah, I mean, there I've, are games like this, like Hearthstone, there's a... That's what I'm thinking of, game, there's... Yeah. So there have been virtual card games out there for years, but... Yeah. Magic, and there's been even the magic game for the computer, but I'm not sure if it was online or not, and it would only update yearly. This is an active update, so I think Pretty it's cool. great.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. It's going to be interesting to see just like the Fortnite tournaments and like the, the other tournaments. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this takes off and what kind of money is put behind it for tournaments. The and...
1: only thing I haven't seen is the ability to challenge someone else um, directly. So I'm not sure if I could play you directly with Arena.
0: Oh, I don't okay. think you can find people to play. Yeah, well, that, that might be something that comes out once it gets out of beta. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check this out. I... I... Unfortunately, I've never really been a huge Magic the Gathering player. I've played a couple times, but it, it was never something I really, really got into. But this would be a neat way to kind of try to get back into it and see what, what I think of it in a virtual reality or in a virtual setting. Yeah. So, and, it's and one
1: I, of the most accessible
0: games for card games to play. Yeah, the rules yeah. are very simple. Yeah, Very cool. So... My recommendation is, I actually have two, and the only reason I have two is because I laughed that both these trailers came out for these animated movies within, like, days of each other. And the reason I'm picking these is someone who went to SCAD is a really good friend of mine, and he actually has worked on both of these movies. So the first one that actually came, the trailer came out a couple days ago, is called Spies in Disguise. Um, it st- started Will Smith as a super spy, and Tom Holland is in it as a like nerdy scientist. Really cool animation. My buddy is currently at Blue Sky working on this, so it's pretty neat to know that he's working on this movie right now. And the other trailer is Missing Link, which is about a Sasquatch. And that's produced by Leica, which is where he was about six months ago out in Portland, Oregon. So it's funny and and so the Spies in Disguise that he's working on right now, they released their trailer first. And then a movie he worked on a while ago that has been in production for quite a long time released their trailer like three days after. The so it was completely like, mind-boggling and backwards. But Missing Link is about a Sasquatch, and the Sasquatch is actually Hugh Jackman. It's the voice of it. So it, it's pretty funny. Um, so I'll put both of those in the show notes. Um, pretty, like I said, it's pretty cool to know somebody that's working on or has worked on both these movies and is currently working on the Spies in Disguise one. Um, pretty cool stuff really beautiful beautiful animation um and so definitely recommend you check out both trailers and i think both are coming out in yeah they're both coming out in 2019 so they won't be out by the end of the year they'll be coming out next year so definitely check those out so i think that's everything we got for this week Mm -hmm. uh anything else from you that's it all right well remember Everyone's a rookie before they're an All-Star.